And welcome once again to another edition of Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from cellular to digital and everything in between. And on today's episode, we're going to be doing the 2004 Clint Eastwood movie, Million Dollar Baby. Now, the reason why I chose to do this movie is because with Oscars only about, what is it, about like two weeks away, around two weeks away, a little under two weeks away, I think, I thought, what a good time to revisit um, an Oscar movie that I'd watched, watched an Oscar winning movie that I'd watched before and I loved and I was interested in watching it again. And I was interested in trying to rewatch this this movie again because it is a fantastic movie. The movie is about uh, Clint Eastwood, who plays Frankie Dunn, who is an old, retired, um, gr- a grizzled old, well, not necessarily grizzled old, but an old, uh, an old, retired boxer who has become a coach as well. And he coaches um, a gentleman by the name of Big Willie Little, who's played by Mike Coulter, all you Luke Cage fans out there. And what happens essentially is we start the movie by being introduced to Big Willie. And he's during a, and he's and he's having a fight. And Clint Eastwood is in his corner. He's helping him out. He's supporting him. He's doing everything. And Big Willie wins. Willie wins the fight. Now we go outside, and we see a man kind of walking towards him, away from Clint Eastwood, who's trying to start start his car. And he re, and he refer and he says to him, you know, big mistake. And we're wondering what's going on. And we find out that Clint Eastwood, he was offered to have his fighter have a title shot but clint eastwood said no still two fights away and mike Coulter goes you said two fights away you always say i'm two fights away two i'm always two to two to three fights away and right there you kind of get a little bit uh you don't get everything you're still kind of a little confused about how this character is and who he is but you start to get a little more start you start to get a little knowledge of, of who clint eastwood is and after that, it goes to you, you. You meet a little bit more about Clint Eastwood because you find out that he's uh, he go he goes to church every single day, but we're not sure why. Because after every single sermon, he goes and he goes and he goes to ask the priest these like ludicrous questions, like you know, how is God, uh, you know, the same as um, Jesus and uh, and and the body of Christ? Like, how does that may may make sense? Like, he asks quite quite questions that you can see are purposely trying to get under the priest's skin. And the priest is actually played by Brian F. O'Brien, who you may not know, plays Father Horvac, but he's in a ton of TV shows, a ton of TV shows. I remember him from the one season Flash Forward, which I really liked. So right there, again, you start to see, like, why, you know, he's also, you see that he's a bit of a loner, but the one thing you're able to pull, pull from that is once the scene comes near to an end father horvac says to frankie have you written your daughter and he says every day and you're like okay so there's a daughter involved in this i wonder what's going on and then that's when you start to see the a little more of the uh, a little more of the boxing come in so you you jump to the boxing arena the trade training arena that uh, frankie owns and we meet his basically his best friend morgan freeman who is who is um, his character's name is Eddie Scrap Iron Dupris. Dupris, I think it is. And right there, you learn a little bit about their their re- re- relationship. And Morgan Freeman is fantastic in this movie. He's great in this movie as well. I mean, everybody's fantastic in this movie. The acting is great. So right right off the bat, 
you meet um oh one thing I, I also forgot right after the fight before we get get the scene where Mike Coulter's walking towards the car and so somebody says big mistake we're in, introduced to Hillary Swank's character we don't know her name at this point she introduces herself actually she just introduces herself as Maggie Fitzgerald and she fought in the undercard and she's looking for a trainer and Clint Eastwood basically says I don't train girls now again that kind of adds to the writing his daughter so you start to see that there that he's got a bit of a uneasy relationship with um, young females it sounds worse than it than it actually is but it'll come play it'll come into play more often so again back to the training training facility and what it does does here is after we're introduced to Morgan Freeman's character it kind of pans around the room and you meet other fighters who are training to fight in there as well so you see jay baruchel who plays danger Bar- danger barch uh anthony mackie who plays uh Shwarelli barry you also see michael pena who plays omar as well and each of them essentially get one or two lines to say and then right there you're introduced to the character because of the the specific way they say say the lines because of this interaction this maybe two minute interaction between all of them and morgan freeman's character you understand each of the side characters and one thing to remember is jay barishel's character danger he's he's like the really skinny kid who shouldn't be there he's introduced as a character with all heart no mu- no mu- no muscle he really wants to be a fighter. Um, he's got the passion. He's got the dream. But he is the skinniest, thinnest thing you've ever seen and can't fight whatsoever. So he's the character that kind of is... Um, you kind of root for him, even though you know things don't go well. And then Anthony Mackie's character, on the other hand, is a fighter with a lot of talent, but really no heart. He thinks he he's already the best. He thinks he's already good. So these two play off each other. And as side characters, they're utilized very specifically in certain areas to help build the film. And that's one of the things that I love. Now, as we're circling around, we get a, we get a vision of Hilary Swank's character. So Maggie training on uh, one of the big bags. Clint Eastwood basically looks at her and says, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Why are you here? Morgan Free- Freeman plays like the angel on the other side of his sh- shoulder. Like, you know, why don't you give her a chance? Why don't you give her a chance? We tend to realize that she's got a ton of heart as well. So right when the right right when the building is start, starting to close, Morgan Freeman notices that she's still here. And he gives her a couple, couple tips. And that kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. Eventually, we get to the point where... Um, Mike, Col- Mike Coulter's character, so Big Willie, goes over to Clint Eastwood's house and says, you know what? Uh, I have to leave you. You're no longer my trainer and my manager. I have to leave you because they're offering me a t- title fight. So right now, Clint Eastwood is, he's faking it. He's like, he's, he's pretending like he's okay, but you can clear, clearly see that he's not ha- happy with this. And he sees Hillary Swank's character again, training even more, training even more. She keeps bugging him, you know, please boss please train me. I can do this. Please train me. Goes over again, gives her a few, few tips. Um, and then we realize that, you know what? They're starting to build a, a little something there. Finally, he says, finally, he says after enough persuasion, 
okay, I'll take you on. I'll train you until I can find you a good manager. And she's thrilled. She's through the moon. And they start building their fr- their friendship um, from there. And one thing we realize, and then as we build the friendship, we realize that Hilary Swank's character, Maggie, comes from nothing. She has no money. She's saving up pennies and quarters. She's working at a waitress that periodically when pe- people leave a lot of food left over, she takes. She's literally spending all her money on boxing and rent like she like she's she's putting her entire body into this and then we come to realize that you know what she's actually a 30 year old boxer and clint clint eastwood bay basically thinks like she's too old she's too old to do this you can't start a boxing career so not only is this movie really pushing for uh gender equality like women can do anything men can do but it also it also is showing you that you're never too old to start something as long as you drive for it as long as you push it as long as you want to do it you're never too old so he finally convinces to train her and we come to realize that she's a natural she's an absolute natural she's winning fights in the first round every time people are is put up against her she's crushing them she's knocking them down she's destroying them you know, sometimes before he can even before Clint before Frankie can t- take the stool out of the ring and put it down, she's already knocked out the opponent and has to put the stool right back. So she's just killing it to the point where people don't even want to put her up against their fighters because they don't want their fighters to get embarrassed. So he decides to move her up in in a weight class, and what happens? She destroys that that weight class as well. Like she's a nad natural. And then that, that's where the dream of hers really starts, starts to come. She starts traveling the world to box. Um, she, she's fighting the British champion. She goes to Paris. She goes to England. She goes all over the world to box. And this has become now a dream come true. She's making a lot of money. She's living her life. She's following her dream. She's earned enough money where she can finally actually buy her, her mother a new house because her parents, her, 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 her dad's dead. And her mother and sister live in basically a trailer. So she finds, so she goes and she buys them a house, and she's so excited to to present it to her, them. And then we find out that they're actually bitter about it. They're thinking they're going to lose their welfare. They wish they would have had the money. And right there, you realize where she came from and what she's had to deal with in her per- personal life, and you get another sense of how important this boxing is for her. And again, periodically throughout the movie, Clint Eastwood co- comes home and he finds letters that say return to sender. And then you realize, oh, okay, so he is actually writing letters to his daughter, but because there's so many return to sender and he pulls out literally a shoebox full of them, you realize, okay, wait a minute, he doesn't have that good of a relationship with his father or with his, his da- daughter. So it starts to build another level. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I love this movie because it slowly builds and introduces specific parts about the character when you need to know them and when they're relevant for the plot. And that is something that is extremely hard to do with films. You want to, a lot of films want to give as, give everything you can as early as you can so that way you can spend the rest of the film, you know, with acting and big budget special effects and, and, and everything. That the slow build, the slow build is something you don't see anymore. 
So finally, Maggie is, she's winning everything and she finally convinces Frankie to give her a title shot. But the title is held by a boxer from, I think, Russia or Germany, or no, Slovenia, sorry, Slovenia. And she's known as the dirtiest fighter around. She's knocking everybody out. She's a dirty fighter. She's cheap. During the fight, um, actually before the fight, um, while Maggie was doing all these fights, she ended up becoming uh, a big name because um, of her name. She was given this uh, Irish fighting jacket, or Irish, um, what's the term? Oh, God, what is it? It's it's the thing that they wear when boxing comes. A robe. Thank you. Thank you. Why am I saying thank you? I said it. So she's she's got an Irish boxing robe, which on the back, back of it has a, has has a Gaelic term. I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I know I'll get it. But what's happening is a lot of these Irish people are seeing this. They know why, what it says, and they're thinking, "Wait a minute, that's that's us. That that that's Gaelic." So she starts to build this huge re- re- reputation. And the funny thing is, is she wants to know what funny thing is. Is the funny thing is. She wants to know what this means, but Clint just won't tell her. So they have this fun little cat and mouse about this. And again, her popularity gets to the point where when they're thinking of how much the split is and the cut is for the championship fight, he's able to use leverage saying, people are coming to see Maggie, not the champion. So he's able to get a a little bit more. So the fight starts. She's not doing so well in the first round. Second round comes, she's learning, she's getting better, she knows, she's listening, and she starts really taking it to the champ. Like, she could win this. She can easily win win this. And again, you start seeing dirty plays come out here and there. And again, she can easily win this. She might win. And then all of a sudden, at the end of a round, she turns her back to walk towards her, her corner, and the championship socks her in the face. She falls down. The stool is already out on the mat and she lands on her neck on the stool and we come to find out that what happened is she messed up her spine and that and that has caused her to be paralyzed her entire body is paralyzed and she'll never be able to walk or basically move anything except for her eyes and her mouth for the rest of her life and at that point you realize this isn't a boxing movie this is not a movie about an up-and-coming boxer trying to make it for the championship. This movie is so much more. And then what I like about this scene as well is you start to think back at some of the fights. And you start start to realize that a lot of those fights, they were purposely short. They were, per- they were shots in specific ways to not show any energy. Because this movie's not about her becoming a boxer. This is about an individual trying to reach their dream, whether it be boxing, whether it be singing, whether it be dancing, whether it be anything. This movie is about her trying to reach her dream. And unfortunately, because she got a little too excited, it now has ruined her life. She's still trying to stay as positive as she can. And Clint Eastwood is now basically heartbroken. He looks at her and he thinks, I've ruined another young girl's life. And then again, at that point, you start to see that the reason why he was so nervous about training Maggie at the start of this was because of his relationship with his daughter. And he was afraid 
of screwing up another girl's life like he did his daughter. And he doesn't want to do that again. And what he realized is, oh my God, I've done this again. I put her into a position that I shouldn't have. And I ruined another young girl's life. And then again, you start to see the parallels where Clint Eastwood was basically treating Maggie as his daughter. He was being very protective. Very, He was trying to do everything for her that he that he wasn't able to do with his daughter. Now again, we don't know fully what happens with his what happened with his daughter, but with him sending letters to her and then her doing um, return to sender, you can clearly say see that she's mad she's mad at him. And again, it doesn't it just gives you enough to know that his daughter does not want to speak to him. It doesn't matter why. You just know that his relationship with his daughter is not good. And then you start to see the parallels of what he's doing with Hillary Swank. Now, she's lying in bed. This is when the movie really becomes extremely sad. I mean, leading up to this, you're, you're hopeful, you're loving this movie, you're thinking she's going to be the champion. Then all of a sudden, this one scene just pulls you down. Like you think, what have I been watching this entire time? It makes you second guess everything you just watched. And then things get even worse. Because she can't move, she's lying in bed, she ends up getting sores on her legs, she gets an infection in her leg because she's lying on it so long that they actually have to amputate. So not only is she paralyzed, they have to amputate her leg. And again, she's trying to be as positive as she can. She's waiting for her family to come. And then we find out that her family actually came, but they waited six days to go visit her because they were traveling around LA visiting Disneyland and Universal Studios and they were enjoying themselves while her daughter well her 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 da- daughter who's played by um sorry her mother who's played by Margot Martindale. Uh her name is uh uh Erlene Fitzgerald. Now you may not know her, but she's a pretty she you you know her when once you see her. She's actually got three primetime Emmy Awards. She's won two Emmys for the Americans and one for for Justified. And her sister, Lick, uh, Ricky Lindholm, played uh, Mardell Fitzgerald. You know her, uh, you may know her from movies, TV shows. Uh, one of her big things that really got her sh- shot up is Shot Up, Shot Up, Enunciate, Shot Up, was her band Garfield and Oates. She played Garfield. And uh, that's where a lot of people know her from. And then you realize, like, these people don't care about her to the point where they bring a lawyer when they're visiting her and they try and convince Maggie that, you know what, it's, it'd be smart for you to sign over your money and your holdings to us so that way nobody can come after them. And that's when Maggie has finally had enough. She realizes that her family doesn't care about her, sends them away, and at that point, she's broken, she's done. She's given, she lost her dream. She lost her family. The only thing that's left is, is Clint Eastwood. It's Frankie. He's the only thing she has left. And she realizes that this isn't the life she wants to live. And she asks Frankie to kill her. And in such a powerful way of saying it, a way that only Clint Eastwood can, basically says, don't you dare think that. And because of Clint Eastwood's voice and his presence, it's so powerful. And one thing I love about Clint Eastwood in this film 
is when you look at him, when you hear him, I mean, everything about him screams old man, old man racist. Basically, his character from Gran Torino, you think is what he is. But the fact that he's able to direct this this movie so well and show that that's not what his character is, that he's actually, he may seem like an angry old man, but he's got a lot of love and a lot of heart in him. It's incredible to see this guy act. I think he's, I think he's, he's one of my favorite directors. And I think he's not talked about enough because when, when I go back to his career, some of the movies that have hit me the most, like Unforgiven, I can't get that my I can't get that out of, out of my head. I'm gonna spoil it for you here, real quick. So I'll give you three three seconds. Three, two, one. You watch this whole movie cheering for Clint Eastwood, and then you realize at the end that you've been cheering for the bad guy. You've been cheering for the bad guy this whole time, and it makes you rethink the entire film. And you think, holy holy cow, what have I just seen? And that's something that Clint Eastwood is great at. I mean, he just did Sully a few years ago. And Sully was a great movie. I mean, he's he was able in Sully to show you the same crash multiple times. And you are still on the edge thinking, what can happen next? This man has had an amazing career of acting and directing. And what most people know him more about is he was talking to a chair during a Republican convention. Unfortunately, that's not the Clint Eastwood I see up on screen. And this Clint Eastwood I see up on screen is the one that I want to see. And during this whole time, back, back to the movie, and during this whole time is really where, where Hilary Swank really shows why she's a two-time Oscar winner. She makes you believe in this film that she's broken but she's trying to put on a face. And then when she finally decides to take that face off and ask to kill her, you believe it. And again, Clint Eastwood says basically, no, you can't do this. Don't do this. So finally she takes it upon herself and she tries to kill herself. She bites down on her tongue to try and get blood going, to choke herself. She tries whatever she can to kill herself. Doctors have to stop her, sedate her, put patting around her tongue everything and then one and then one day he comes in and he sees her and she's so high on dope she just looks awful she looks like the way she looks anybody would think nobody deserves to look like that she looked rough you know 20 minutes 20 minutes ago she was on the top of the world fighting for the championship belt and now she can barely understand what's going on in her in the room she doesn't know she's dazed she's out of it she has one leg and she's paralyzed and her entire body's paralyzed and Clint Eastwood sees this and it really starts to hit his mind and he goes back to his training building and that's where we get a conversation with him and Morgan Freeman where they where Morgan Freeman doesn't say you should go do it I approve he gives he gives a speech saying it's something like the way she is nobody deserves to go nobody deserves to be like that and finally Clint Eastwood decides sides to and he ends up going 
hits her with adrenaline, takes off her air, and he kills her. And then he just walks out of the, he walks out of the hospital. When I first saw this, I couldn't believe what I was watching, and I just bawled my eyes out. I bawled it because I, I couldn't believe, like, again, you think, you see Clint, Clint Eastwood as this, as this old, angry man doing this, what some people, some people call murder. Essentially, it was murder. It straight up was murder. But because of why he did it, because of how he did it, because of the way Hillary Swank looked and acted, you, you feel for him as well. You know, a lot of people out there are, are justified in saying he shouldn't have done that. That was wrong for him. Even the priest, when he goes to and asks, what should I do? The priest says, I understand how you're feeling, but you can't do this. No matter how much your body wants you to do this and your mind wants you to do this, you can't do this. But it was Morgan Freeman who just, just who was able to tip him over that little bit. And again, you don't hate him for doing that. You know, you think he took this girl girl's life, but you don't hate him for do this. There's a part of you that th- that is glad he did it, so that way she doesn't have to live a life. She doesn't have to live a life that she doesn't want to. That that she doesn't want. Now a lot of people may be angry and think, you know, oh, this movie should have ended happier. And he got a lot of flack for this as well. The movie should have been happier. She, you know, he should, you know, the movie should have ended with her going to school, becoming a um, a public speaker and everybody loving how strong and powerful he is. But it would have taken away, I think, from the character and where the movie was going. Like her, her sole dream, she didn't want to do anything except for box. That's it. That's all she wanted to do. And now she can't do that. Not only can she not do this, she can't do anything for herself. She's been robbed of the one thing that made her ha- happy. So there's nothing out there to make her happy again. Now that's a bleak statement, sediment, but that's the character. And you believe the character because she, she, she tried so hard and she got so close, but she couldn't make it. And we end the film with Morgan Freeman doing more voiceover work. And he does a lot of voiceover work in this and uh, like narration. And you don't mind because it's Morgan Freeman. You know, he does, he does so much exposition in this that most most people would say you know show not say that's the big thing in in hollywood that people are angry that they hate exposition they hate when exposition is told to them because they'd rather just see it but when morgan freeman is saying it you give it a pass you say okay sure let's do this and we find out that all the narration that morgan freeman did was because he was writing a letter to Clint Eastwood, to Frank's daughter, Frankie's daughter, because after he, after Frankie left the hospital, you never see him again. He's gone. He left, basically leaves the gym to Eddie. And we find out that this whole thing is basically Eddie writing a letter, telling his daughter, telling Frankie's daughter, what kind of man he truly was. So it's a bit of a poetic ending. 
And it's, it's a great movie. Like, I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this movie because of the performances. It's got amazing performances. Such good performances. Such, such great performances. Everybody. Again, even the side characters have such interesting stories that you root for them as well. But because of how they're used, you don't think they're used improperly. It's perfect. The supporting storylines are great. And again, this movie feels quiet. It's a movie that has boxing in it and a lot of boxing in it, but it feels quiet. Nobody ever... It reminds me a lot of Spotlight because Spotlight was a quiet movie as well. Nobody overacted. There's maybe one scene of somebody yelling, screaming, and that was it. This movie was like that too. It was very quiet. It made you sit there and think about what was going on. It showed you what the movie was and then allowed you to think, and I love that. And again, Morgan Freeman's narration in this was beautiful. You want you want it you want more of his narration. And one of the and one of the reasons why I wanted to do this as well because I think it's a lesser known best picture. When you look at when people talk about past best picture winners, you know, they talk about so many movies, but they rarely talk about Million Dollar Baby. And when you ask people, "Hey, have you seen Million Dollar Baby?" A lot of people haven't seen it. It made a ton of money that year. I mean, the movie was made, the movie was made for $30 million and it made $216 million, okay? And that's something that Clint Eastwood is known for doing. I mean, he put out Sniper. He, uh, you know, Sniper was, I think, two years ago. Um, let me figure out because, uh, let me figure out what the movie was. I think it was, I think it was Sniper. But, like, this guy puts out movies, and they do so well. Like, again, a quiet Oscar boxing movie was made for $30 million, and it does $216 million. Okay? Think about that. American Sniper, 2014. American Sniper, made for $58 million, made $547 million. Okay, uh, let's see here. He also did, what was the latest one he did? Where is it, where is it, where is it? I'm trying to find what the number was for Sully because I don't think it was as big. I don't think it was as big as his other ones, but I still think it was surprisingly big. Yeah, made for $60 million, Sully, made $240 million. This guy has made a career of taking Oscar movies and turning them into blockbusters. And that's something that Oscars have had to fight for years about. That the that the only movies that ever win are movies that nobody sees. Again, this movie was made for $30 million, made $216 million, has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 8.4 average. It was nominated for seven Oscars and it won four of them. Best Picture, Hilary Swank won Best Lead Actress, Morgan Freeman won Best Supporting Actor, and Clint Eastwood won Best 
director, okay? You're talking best picture, director, supporting actor, supporting actress. It won four out of the out of the six. Uh, well, depending if you if if you put the uh, writing awards in, but it won four out of the major awards. That's incredible. But a lot of people and Roger Ebert said it was the best film of 2004. Okay, best film of 2004. You want to know what other movies came out in 2004? Let's pull this up and take a look. Now, you're probably wondering, like, why didn't you have this before? Well, it's because I didn't actually think about comparing other movies in 2004. So 2004, okay? You had The Incredibles. You had Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which people say is one of the best Harry Potters out there. Uh, let's go down. Let's go down the list. Um, Million Dollar Baby. There it is. Let's see here. What else? What else? What else? Uh, Ladder 49, which I actually, I, I love. I think it is a fantastic movie. Uh, Friday Night Lights. Great movie as well. Um, okay, so maybe it wasn't the greatest year. I'm just going through like, some of like the tops, the top grossing movies. And again, I know you can't always do top grossing movies. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay, it wasn't the greatest year, but still, to be considered the greatest movie or the best movie of one year is still pretty good. And this movie is, is, is great. But again, one of the reasons why many people don't remember it was because the year before, Lord of the Rings Return of the King won the best picture. And the year after, Crash won which was is known is that that win is always going to be remembered where a lot of people say Brokeback Mountain should have won. Now, I've never seen Brokeback Mountain, so I can't compare it to Crash. I have seen Crash. I have my opinions on Crash. But when people think of that, they think of, well, you know, Brokeback Mountain should have won over Crash. But then in between, you had, you know, this, you had Million Dollar Baby, which went up against, let me pull it again. Thank God I'm near my, my computer. So you had Finding Neverland, Ray, which I think Ray is also one of the best um, biopics of all time. Million Dollar Baby, Sideways, Sideways is a great movie as well, and The Aviator. So that movie actually could have gone to either Sideways or Ray or Million Dollar Baby. It was pretty close. And it was and it was a great movie. And again, I think more people need to see see this movie because it is definitely one worth viewing. Well, we're at the thirty-five minute mark. I think this was a pretty good episode. Again, little different uh, format change. I try to be a little more free flowing with this. Um, next week, I'm going to try and get my Oscar picks. Uh, I think I've pretty much seen all that I need to see. So next Sunday, I'm going to try and get up my um, Oscar picks. And then uh, what we'll do is next, the week after that, we'll talk about the Oscars and I'll try and load up another episode as well. So we'll see what we can do. But uh, next week, I'm going to I'm probably only going to put up one episode and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be about the Oscars. So again, you can follow me at, uh, at Mets at the Movies. It's where you can interact, you can ask questions, you can even suggest movies. I'm always willing to suggest, to hear suggestions. I would love to do 
a movie that people have seen that I haven't, give it a view and then give it a fresh, fresh take. So I'd be excited about that. So again, thank you for listening to Mets at the Movies, and I will see you at the next screening. <laughs>